The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host, and today I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend Dr Peter Hammond, so let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? Yes, Andrew, thank you, I am. Excellent, great to have you on board. Now folks, I appreciate that we are all struggling at the moment, but if you have the wherewithal to do so, if you can support Peter's mission... The website www.frontlinemissionsa.org. That's frontlinemissionsa.org. Um, the the crisis of the crisis of the inflation and the shortages and all that is that obviously donations, book purchases, things like that, they're going to come a lot lower on the totem pole than feeding yourself, heating yourself, things like that. We understand that. But unfortunately, I heard Republic Broadcasting even saying at the weekend that everyone is struggling in this independent media, in the mission world, these sort of things. So if you're someone who has got the wherewithal to do so, it would really be helpful at this time if you could support us and especially support Peter. FrontlineMissionSA.org and all his other websites will be listed in the post for this show as they always are. So that being said, today we are going to well, Peter has a topic for us entitled The Real Story of How Our Government Steals From Us. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off today? I think most people are aware that there's a lot of corruption in government, but I'm, I'm going way past that. In fact, just the African Union has a task force on corruption, which estimated some time ago that uh, governments in Africa steal one third of the GDP one third of the total gross domestic product of Africa is stolen by governments by corruption. But I'm, I'm not even referring to the corruption. The corruption is huge. We're just meaning how the institutions of government steal from us today. And I don't know how many people realize that in many cases, governments get more out of crime than the criminals do. So, for example, let's just take South Africa. We have 15% VAT, uh, value-added tax. So we pay value-added tax on everything, including uh, electricity, uh, when you go to the dentist, uh, when you go to the cinema, assuming they're open, uh, anything you pay for, goods or services, has VAT on it, even, even Bibles, which 
it used to be tax immune under our old system, but uh, the government even steals money from consecrated uh, donations given for Bibles. They'll take 15% of Bible purchases money um, for the government coffers. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, when it comes to theft, so you've bought your item. Let's say you bought your car, and uh, there you've got your car, and you pay 15% VAT to the government, uh, which actually is a lot more than that because uh, imported cars, which most cars in South Africa imported, uh, the government slaps a huge import tax, virtually 100%, uh, so that basically more than um, half of what you're paying for your car is tax, whether uh, on import tax uh, or, or VAT or value-added tax. But then when a criminal steals your car, remember you've been paying 15% VAT on your insurance premiums, but now when the insurance pays out, once they pay out for the stolen car, you've got to pay another 15% VAT on the repayment. And then you go down to the shop to buy a new car, you've got to pay another 15% VAT on the replacement of the one stolen. So actually just a quick calculation like that shows that on insured products, uh, the government gets more of the uh, benefit from the theft than the criminal does because the criminal won't be able to sell the stolen car uh, for its full value. Uh, when they go through a fence, uh, they can you know, sell for maybe half or a third or a quarter of its, its real value. So in a real sense, the government's getting more out of crime when it in, involves insured products than the criminals do. And then there's a matter of, of fuel costs. I don't know what it is in your country, but in my country, the vast majority of what we pay at the fuel pump is government taxes and different levies and road levies and fuel levies and so on. So basically, you would have thought that when you're buying petrol, you are basically remunerating the petrol station, the petrol company and the oil producing country. Not so. In our case, and I think in most cases throughout Africa, the vast majority of cases, the government gets more out of every fuel purchase than the oil company, the petrol station, and the oil producing country combined. In fact, the theft goes more than that. Uh, because, you know, if you think of taxes, the Bible forbids any taxation as high as 10%. No governments need to tax as high as 10%. I've looked at the uh, TEAL, Total Economic Activity Levy, which economists have recommended, because those of us who are considering an independent free CAPE uh, to secede from South Africa have looked into the huge amount of taxes we pay. Now, for example, in in the Cape province of South Africa, uh, we find for every rand we pay in taxes, we get back eight cents. So 8% of our taxes is spent within the Cape province. So if the Cape province was to secede from the Union of South Africa, we would be able to lower our tax down to less than 10% of what it is now. And uh, in fact, we'd be able to lower it even less because most of what the government uh, does is wasted and stolen and misapplied. And in BBBEE, that's broad-based black economic empowerment affirmative action. So plainly, the government's getting far more taxes out of us than they're spending on goods and services within our province. So there's a good reason why we should secede because we're not actually uh, getting our money's worth, to put it mildly. But in fact, it's, it's worse than that. They're not only stealing from us through fuel levies and taxes and insurance premiums, which you even have to pay insurance premiums on the payouts and on the replacement of the vehicle, which are stolen and so on. Uh, but they're stealing through inflation. Inflation is a hidden tax. 
And so when gov- what caused inflation? Governments print more money than there is gold or silver or value to back it. And so it's basic counterfeiting. If you and I were to print money in our basement, so to speak, uh, that would be called counterfeiting. When the government does it, it's called inflation. And inflation is a hidden tax. So you take, for example, Zimbabwe, where they kept just printing money until there was no tomorrow. Uh, they took 16 zeros off the currency, and they still a $100 trillion note in 2008 could not buy half a loaf of bread. A $100 trillion note. And that's after 16 zeros have been taken off it. So there's a huge amount of theft, massive amounts of theft uh, that are done by governments. Um, and I, I want to look at a whole lot of other things, you know, how they steal our history and our children, our faith and our health and our freedoms and our heritage and our future and our lives, our right to self-defense. There's so much that's stolen by government. But let's just sit here on, on economics, because most people when they think of theft are thinking economics. So the Ten Commandments which, by the way, notice, are not the Ten Suggestions, they're the Ten Commandments, still stand. You shall not steal, and you shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. So socialism is institutionalized, legalized theft. It just doesn't work either. As Margaret Thatcher said, the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money. And socialism produces nothing except poverty and bureaucracy and corruption. Socialists actually parasites who consume what others have earned by hard work and ingenuity. And um, I can use the example of the ticks. Uh, in Africa, we have a lot of ticks. These are uh, little black insects that are blood-sucking parasites. And if you crawl around the bush and so on, you'll get some on your body. And it was a normal thing at the end of a, a day playing out in the felts of the bush in Rhodesia to look all over your body and pull off these little blasted uh, blood-sucking parasites off you, the ticks. And if you didn't, you'd get tick bite fever. I remember at one point in the army uh, reporting to medic because I was as sick as anything and uh, mentioning all my feverish uh, uh, symptoms and so on. And then I said, oh, by the way, I've got at the top of my leg here, I've got this golf ball sized hard um, boil. In my, and he said, oh, tick bite fever. And he pulled out his uh, scalpel. And without any swab or anything else like that, no alcohol swab, it just uh, drew the um, scalpel across my hard boil, squeezed out a vast amount of pus. I almost passed out from the shock. Uh, but incredibly, within literally minutes, I was feeling enormously better. I mean, that huge amount of, of pus, that huge amount of, of uh, disease that was coming from a parasite which had attached itself to me. Now, you know, one parasite probably won't kill you, at least not immediately. But you can imagine if you put hundreds of parasites on a dog, it will kill them. And dogs have been killed by parasites uh, like ticks. So at one point, my wife was um, on the phone, uh, really very agitated uh, because um, I brought my son back from being on the farm and uh, he had a tick. And my poor wife brought up in the Alps in Austria was not familiar with these blood-sucking parasites. And uh, so she didn't know what to do. So I rushed around home and there were my daughters um, also huddled in the bathroom looking at this, like, how am I going to get this tick out of um, my son's shoulder? And so I said, well, first of all, you don't try to pull it off or uh, try and use tweezers or anything like that because it'll just dig in deeper. And I've seen people try to use knives to pull out ticks and it's no good because they just literally clump more and more into your skin. Uh, So the only way to get rid of it I pulled out Vaseline, a sort of petroleum jelly, put petroleum jelly over the um, tick and skin around it. And sure enough, this tick started to, you could see his legs coming out of my son's skin. 
as he tried to breathe, because of course they can't breathe through petroleum jelly, it's a, it's a firm a film surface. And uh, so the tick was getting suffocated, needs air. So it's, it's literally climbed itself out. And as it climbed out, as I would just pick it up with my fingers, put on a white counter, and then start to move across the counter, screams for my daughters and wife. I smashed it with my fist and blood splattered all over the white counter. More screams. Then my one daughter said, where did that blood come from? I said, your brother Calvin. More screams. And, you know, this is a teachable moment. And uh, it was such a wonderful opportunity for me to explain something. I said to my daughters and my son, I said, this tick is a blood-sucking parasite. This is like the ANC government. And remember, the middle letters of, of cancer is ANC. The African National Congress, the, the government of South Africa at that time, they produced nothing except disease and infection, corruption, uh, and they live off the productivity of others. They like blood-sucking parasites, like this tick. The difference is that the tick, when he's got enough, he will fall off the body because he's, he's filled himself up with all your blood that he needs. Uh, but government ticks never fall off you. First time I went to America in 1988, I heard Ronald Reagan speak, and Ronald Reagan said that government philosophy is if it works, tax it. If it doesn't work, subsidize it. And he said the most frightening words in English language is, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. And uh, he kept giving a whole lot of examples how government is the problem, not the solution. And I'm afraid I can only agree, and I know a lot of Margaret Thatcher's speeches made sense as she uh, referred to these that, for example, socialism could never work um, anywhere except heaven or in hell. Um, and so she says, socialism could only work in heaven where they don't need it or in hell where they already have it. And uh, that is a fact. Socialism is like a parasitic system. It penalizes the productive by taxes and it rewards the parasites by subsidies. Now, the scriptures are clear. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. There's a world of difference between voluntary Christian generosity and sharing and compulsory communist socialist confiscation and coercion. You cannot compare voluntary generosity and coercive confiscation. Private ownership of property and the means of production is biblical. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Even the ox that pulls the plow, even the means of production should not be coveted. The Bible makes it clear any taxation of 10% or higher is defined as oppression. In 1 Samuel 8, verse 10 to 18, God gives the definition of oppression, taxation that is as high as 10%. God requires 10% of his people as a tithe, most of which would go to running the church and, of course, the church's ministries, which at that stage also included the hospitals and the schools and so on. And so uh, no government needs as much as that. The primary duty of government is to protect lives and property. Uh, to uphold the law. And so any taxation of property is forbidden in the Bible. 1 Kings 21 verse 3, God forbid that you should tax my property. God forbid that you should tax inheritance. And so in, when you look at why is it that governments are taxing property? Well, it's forbidden. They don't own the property. They're civil servants. And where did the taxing of property come in? Well, Marxist manifesto, the communist manifesto of 1848, the abolition of property rights by the application of rents and rates to the state and a heavy progressive graduated income tax to confiscate earnings and the abolition of all rights of inheritance by taxing inheritance and the confiscation of property. Uh, all of this is written into the first few lines of the Communist Manifesto of 1848, written by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. So uh, when we have governments 
that tax property they are stealing. When we have governments that tax inheritance, that is serious stealing. A righteous man lays up an inheritance for his children and for his children's children. And yet governments now apply death taxes, which is very unethical because the person who's died has been paying taxes his whole life. And so now he's doing what the Bible says. He's laying up inheritance for his children and his children's children. But the government then steals from the dead what has already been taxed and confiscates a huge section of it uh, for what? To pay for the brothel bills of corrupt government people, to pay for abortions, uh, to pay for uh, jihadists who are immigrating and need to leech off the system while they plan the next uh, suicide bombing and so on. So the entire system of taxing of inheritance and taxing of property is criminal. But there's more, because the Bible makes it clear that it is forbidden to tax any individuals or any institutions involved in the full-time service of the Lord. Ezra 7, verse 23 to 24, makes it clear that not even, not the temple priest, not even the temple choir, all of whom were full-time involved in the work in the temple, were to be taxed. Why? Because the temple or any religious institution is a institution run by the free will donations of God's people. So the members of a church or a society who paid the taxes and choose to donate, to consecrate a certain amount of money to God's work, to one ministry or mission or another, or to the local congregation, uh, they've paid the taxes, and this is a free will offering, as unto the Lord, consecrate to God. And yet the government has audacity to tax even those charities and free will associations and those that live on volunteer donations, which is completely unethical because they're taxing basically something that's been consecrated to God and to his work uh, from people who've already paid their taxes. And so it's tax upon tax upon tax. And the scripture forbids us. So in the Bible, we see you may not, no government may tax as high as 10%. That's defined as oppression. No government may tax property. No government may tax inheritance. No government may tax religious institutions and, and private uh, voluntary organizations maintained by the free will donations of their members or those who believe in their cause. Also, the Bible forbids any unjust, unequal, or progressive system of taxation. It's unscriptural. Exodus 30, verse 14 to 15. The rich are not to give more. The poor are not to give less. Leviticus 19, verse 15. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So instead of nationalization, which is another word for theft, where a government steals what others have invested in and built up, uh, instead of nationalization, theft and bureaucracy and taxation and so on, the government advocates privatization, private ownership, personal responsibility, and rather than encourage a beggar mentality of the outstretched hand demanding charity, the Bible commands diligent, hard work, honesty, and thrift, working harder to produce more than what you need so that you can also be generous to others in need. And Proverbs 10, 2-4 says, ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, the shocking thing is our society encourages people to be unproductive parasites, lazy, indolent, demanding their rights, and spending the welfare which is stolen from other people's hard work and ingenuity 
uh, so that it can subsidize this person's vices of uh, drugs, drink, uh, cigarettes, gambling, prostitution, and all the other vices uh, on under the sun. And so the Bible says, Proverbs 12, verse 24, diligent hands will rule. Laziness ends up in slave labor. And the fact is we've got a lot of slaves in our society, slaves for the government, slaves of taxes, slaves of alcohol, drugs, drink, and other vices. Proverbs 13, verse 4 says, the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent shall be fully satisfied. Proverbs 13, verse 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And so <clears throat> it's a key biblical principle that the Christian work ethic, working hard, being productive, providing goods and services that other people want and need and will benefit from, that is how economies grow. And so the Bible is against the socialist agenda. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. While the land remained, Peter said to Anas, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was the money not in your control? But why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You see, there are people who try to say that the death of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 means that God supports socialism. No, that's not so. Um, in fact, Acts 5 is about lying to God, lying to the Holy Spirit, deception. And God judged Ananias and Sapphira for deception and for pride and for boasting and for being dishonest and for lying to God primarily. It wasn't that the Bible was trying to enforce confiscation or a coercion, because as the apostle Peter said, while the land remained, it was in your own hands, was it not your own? And when it was sold, was the money for the sale not in your hand to do with as you wished? But why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to man, but to God. And so <clears throat> based on the commands, you shall not steal and you shall not covet, we need to reject any forms of nationalization or forced redistribution of wealth or land. It's an observable fact that wherever the biblical law of respect for lives and property has been violated, as in socialist countries, the result is starvation, wastage, and death for millions. Biblical economics forbids unjust weights and measures or inflation. So Leviticus 19, 35 to 36, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length or weight or quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights. I am the Lord your God. So throughout the Bible, money is spoken of in terms of weight. Uh, even in the English language, speaking about a pound, I mean, that comes from when it was a pound of silver. Uh, so, you know, it shows that originally money was in terms of weight. We used to have in the South African uh, rand, I promised to pay the bearer on demand one rand in gold. And the notes were promissory notes. They, they represent real value. And you could theoretically go to the bank and you could get your gold uh, in exchange for this paper money, which promised that. But of course, now it's nothing but a blip on a computer screen. And uh, in the Bible, God's law requires financial transactions to be made in terms of honest weights and measures. Inflation is theft of wages. Inflation is destruction of savings by devaluing the currency. And this is the result of printing more money than there's gold to back it. It's dishonest, it's counterfeiting, it's it's essentially a hidden tax where silver becomes dross. The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Now, to give you an example of how inflation works, uh, back in 1971, uh, this, this is actually, an, uh, it was a survey taken by the Old Mutual Financial House in South Africa. They reported 
1971, you could buy a car for about a thousand rand. I checked with my father, it's true, and about that time he bought a new car and it cost a thousand rand. In 1981, the same amount of money could buy a motorbike. And I know that's true because in 1981, I bought my first motorbike and it was about a thousand rand. By 1991, the buying power of a thousand rand had so collapsed, you could only buy a bicycle. And I know that's true because I bought a bicycle about that time for about a thousand rand. Well, by 2001, a good pair of running shoes cost over a thousand rand. Right now, it's about four to eight thousand rand for a decent pair of running shoes. Uh, at Zambia at Independence, and the British left uh, something uh, in the region of a billion pounds in the uh, Reserve Bank. Uh, Zambia was a very wealthy country at Independence. At Independence 1964, Zambia, which used to be Northern Rhodesia, one kwacha equaled one British pound. Uh, and uh, I know somebody who bought a car for 63 pounds at Independence 1964, 63 kwacha. Um, well, by 2011, one pound equaled over 8,000 kwacha. At Independence, you could buy a car for about 100 kwacha. By 2011, a bottle of Coca-Cola cost over 1,200 kwacha. Uh, so... As the Bible says in Amos 8, verse 5 to 7, skimping the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales, I will never forgive. God hates unjust weights and measures. The devastating impact of unbacked currency or inflation on pensions and savings is criminal. Biblical law requires that we use honest scales, honest weights, in other words, honest money backed by real constant value. Shall I quit a man with dishonest scales and a bag of false weights, who rich men are violent, who people are liars, their tongues speak deceitfully. That's in Micah 6, 11 to 12. And so plainly what we are dealing with here is massive scale, uh, theft on a colossal scale by governments. So right now, what is the primary duty of government? Well, it's made clear in the Bible, Romans 13, 1 Peter 2. The primary duty of government is to protect the law abiding and to punish the law breakers, the criminals. And uh, in fact, the primary duties of government also spelled out in Psalm 101 to destroy the wicked, to root out evil, to protect law-abiding citizens. Every authority instituted amongst men who sent by God to punish those who do wrong, to commend those who do right. Romans 13, for rulers hold no terror to those who do right, but only for those who do wrong. For he is God's servant. The word used as deacon. Government is to be God's servant, God's deacon, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. So the primary duty of government is to protect lives and property. And they to do this by enforcing restitution for property crimes and execution, capital punishment, for murder. And uh, when Britain had a consistent policy of all murderers uh, were executed, I think you had an average of four murders a year. And now that there's next to no murders, um, uh, being punished with a death penalty. Now you have colossal amount of murder. In fact, it's gotten so bad that London's now more dangerous than New York, which is shocking because the government's also stolen not just your right to life in many ways uh, by allowing murderers to go unpunished, uh, but also uh, taking away people's right to self-defense, which in uh, the case of several countries, uh, just think of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Great Britain, where the government has even taken away the right of citizens to own weapons for self-defense, um, then it can actually take away not just your right to self-defense, but even your right to life. So we see in the Bible that capital punishment is not a matter of choice or a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of court or parliamentary decree. 
Capital punishment for murderers is God's clear command. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For an image of God is God made man. That's Genesis 9 verse 6, given immediately after the flood of, of in Noah's time. And God instituted capital punishment for all time, for all generations to come, it says in Genesis 9 verse 12. Anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. If a man schemes and plots and kills another man deliberately, take him away from an altar, put him to death. Anyone who kidnaps must be put to death. That's Exodus 21, 12 to 16. Leviticus 24, if anyone takes the life of a human being, he must be put to death. Whoever kills a man must be put to death. I am the Lord your God. Numbers 35, verse 33, bloodshed pollutes the land. Atonement cannot be made for the land in which blood has been shed, except by the blood of the man who shed it. That's Numbers 35, 33. So God's law remains in force even after Calvary. In Acts 25, 22, our Lord Jesus taught, uh, uh, that's when the Apostle Paul said, I refuse not to be put to death if I've committed a crime worthy of death. So capital punishment still was in place. Matthew 5, verse 17, our Lord Jesus said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. And so governors are to bear the sword as an angel of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. They to punish those who do wrong. Anyone who kills with the sword must himself be killed by the sword. Revelation 13.10. So capital punishment is meant to protect a society, to cleanse a society from the guilt of innocent blood. And on the other hand, if a government refuses to avenge the taking of innocent human life, they share the guilt of the murderer and bring the land under a curse. And so we can see how governments all over the world have actually stolen not only our property and not only stolen through fuel taxes and insurance uh, uh, on even replacements and, and, and in, insurance uh, payments uh, for items that have been stolen, but they're stealing enormously through inflation, which is a hidden tax. And inflation makes some people very rich while it impoverishes most. But we see more than that. The stealing of our right to self-defense, the stealing of our lives. But we can see even more than that what's going on. Because if you just take the criminal justice system, what happens when a person steals from you? Well, in the Bible, they should pay back restitution twice as much as what they stole. And if there's other circumstances, aggravating circumstances, it might be four times, even seven times what they stole. Because, for example, if somebody steals your cow and you recovered immediately, well, for the inconvenience and trauma of this, they must give you back the equivalent of two cows having stolen a cow. But if it's months, maybe even a year or so before you get your cow back, you've lost a year's worth of um, milk production. And so it could be that the court orders four times, even up to seven times, uh, as much as what was stolen to be uh, recuperated. And so under God's law, you would have fewer criminals than you'd have um, a lot fewer victims. But what happens now if somebody steals from you, they don't pay restitution to you at all. Uh, what happens is they might go to jail where they live on your taxes. So the criminal justice system right now, instead of forcing criminals who committed property crimes to pay back restitution, what they are doing is forcing you the taxpayer and the victim of the crime to subsidize the the TV and the entertainment and the food and accommodation uh, for these criminals in institutions that cost a fortune. In fact, uh, I don't know what it is in your country, but in my country, it costs us more than 100,000 rand per prisoner per year uh, to accommodate them in there. Now, you know, this is 
exact opposite of what the Bible requires of restitution. Because not only does the victim not get the restitution due, uh, but he has to actually subsidize the criminal's uh, life and entertainment and health and everything else over the next uh, however long he's in prison. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not really deterring the criminals adequately so that the crime's increasing. And so the burden is continually placed on the victims or on the hardworking, taxpaying people who are the, the victims of the crime. So we can see we are being stolen from even by the criminal justice system. And even if you've got a murderer who the Bible requires that a, a murderer, first degree murderer, no extenuating circumstances, executed, as should rapists and kidnappers and so on. Now, by not doing that, they're again forcing the victims to collectively, through taxation, uh, subsidize the extremely expensive uh, accommodation arrangements for these criminals while they get access to TV, pornography, and a whole lot of other things in government uh, agencies, including in some states, the opportunity to have sex changes and hormone blockers and you name whatever nonsense is out there in this new gender confusion crowd. So uh, really and truly, we're being stolen from on so many levels. But there's other ways in which we're being stolen from. Just think how history is being stolen by propaganda. And our children are being stolen through indoctrination in the schools. And our religious freedoms being stolen by governments paying churches to close down, which they did during the lockdowns, and co-opting many churches to promoting their lockdown lunacy, COVID cult, salvation by vaccination, indoctrination nonsense. And you can see how they're compromising our health by forcing us to wear masks, for example, and by the huge amounts of pesticides and genetically modified plants and uh, uh, by forcing vaccinations. Now, just think of what is it required for you to be healthy. There are five essential requirements for good health. Number one is fresh air. Number two is clean water. Number three is healthy food. Number four is regular exercise. And number five is a positive attitude. Now, the lockdowns violated all those things. They forced us to breathe in our own um, emissions of unhealthy air. We should not be wearing masks. Masks make you sicker, make you unhealthy. Fresh air makes you healthier. Florence Nightingale knew that. That was her emphasis on big windows, open windows and hospitals. Uh, closing people up and forcing them to wear masks is the very opposite of good health. No wonder people are getting sicker. And of course, denying people the opportunity to go out and exercise adequately and so on. We had, for example, complete lockdown. Nobody allowed out their house or apartment uh, for five weeks. And we had the police actually shooting people for violating lockdowns uh, in our country back in 2020. So the government was so concerned about our health that they um, were willing to shoot people to make sure they didn't catch COVID. Uh, in Zimbabwe, the government showed how much they cared about your health by requiring everyone who attended a church service uh, to be vaccinated and they would storm into churches, demand seat vaccination cards, beat people up, beat up the pastor, bludgeon him in the face with rifle butts, drag him down the aisle, leaving blood trails behind, kick him in the face. What more must the government do to show they really care about your health? And this isn't the only example. We've got cases of police and army in places far field as Thailand and India, literally beating people up in the streets in the name of caring for their health. So governments steal from us on many different levels. And with this vaccination, well, compulsory vaccinations, if it's so safe and effective, why did it need to be made compulsory? If it's so safe and effective, why did the producer of the vaccines need indemnity from liability uh, for all the negative consequences, which could include death? 
Now, considering that uh, some of the negative results that can occur from uh, these compulsory vaccinations is everything all the way up to death, uh, you wonder why you would need some exemption from something, why you couldn't have free choice on this. So governments even want to take away and steal your choice and maybe even your life and health. Stealing our heritage, the wildlife, the environment. In Zimbabwe, we've had the governments involved in literally colossal wholesale poaching of elephants and rhinos where they've sent in the helicopter gunships and jet fighters to shoot up herds of elephants so that they can provide ivory to the Chinese and rhino tusks to people in the Middle East. Uh, the, the destruction of our environment and our heritage and uh, our history, uh, renaming streets, renaming towns, renaming all sorts of things in the name of cancel culture and under the guilt manipulation nonsense. The theft done, it's huge. And it's in accordance with the Marxist manifesto. It's in accordance with the Sabbatean goals of Sabbatee Zevi and uh, the uh, followers there. It's in accordance with the Illuminati. Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, the World Economic Forum and the United Nations are seeking to steal from all of us, steal from us our lifestyles and our health and lower our life expectancy, all in accordance with the goal of sustainable development and the Green New Deal and trying to bring down people's not just life expectancy, but the population of the world from roughly 8 billion right now down to 500 million, some say 100 million is ideal. But you can see there's an attempt to lower our health, to lower our life expectancy, and to uh, also lower our, our freedoms, which is why there's this concerted attempt to bring about food shortages. Just take how in my country, South Africa, we had 70,000 commercial farmers, almost all white, 70,000 commercial farmers in 1994 when Mandela became president, when the ANC was handed over South Africa. Today, we've got much less than 30,000 farmers, and they, they're producing about uh, enough food to feed 40 million people. Well, back in 1994, our 70,000 commercial farms were feeding 100 million people. Now we've got under 30,000 feeding 40 million people, but our population has more than doubled from 28 million in 1994 to over 60 million today. And so, again, you look at this and you think, think is this an accident? The war against farmers, the war against uh, our agricultural self-sufficiency, where we were producing four times more food than our population needed, so we could export and feed people all over. And so South Africa has gone from being a food exporting country to being a country that now needs to import food to survive. Rhodesia used to export food, was fully self-sufficient, nobody starved, not even during droughts. And immediately after independence, you start to see an erosion of the commercial farmers to the point that the government organized what they called land reform, confiscated the fourth, no, 5,400 farms, 5,400 commercial farms were confiscated, stolen in a chaotic, often violent land reform or land invasions, which then meant, surprise, surprise, people in Zimbabwe start to starve. And no longer were they exporting food, no longer could they feed themselves. Now they needed thousands of millions of tons of food to be brought into the country and delivered to the people free because people were starving. And more than half the population of Zimbabwe have fled outside the borders of the country. And this is what socialism could do. All in accordance with UN um, Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030, uh, which is to basically uh, take away private farms, which is also a goal in the Marxist Manifesto. One of the goals of Marxist Manifesto is to uh, blur the lines between agriculture and cities, between um, 
markets uh, and and the producers between the country and the town uh, to have agriculture and manufacturing industries um, basically merge and to bring the people in from the countryside and get them all in uh, these population centers where they can be easier controlled. So uh, the goals of the Sabbatans, the goals of the occultists and the Illuminati, the goals of the Marxists are all the same and they are well expressed by the World Economic Forum who is trying to steal from us everything, even our humanity. Because Klaus Schwab, who wrote the COVID-19, The Great Reset, also wrote The Fourth Industrial Revolution on transhumanism, where not only will technology control our lives, not only will technology be indispensable to our lives, but technology will become part of our bodies, where the government will even know what you're thinking, uh, where they can prosecute pre-crime by your thoughts, because you think about a possible crime or thought crime or something like that, and that they want to get to a position where your email and your cell phone are actually part of your brain and uh, obviously all able to be monitored by central controlled society. The goal of the Great Reset is a world socialist economy where everyone will be dependent upon the state for everything. And so this is how governments are stealing from us. They steal from us through taxation. They steal from us through excessive taxation, even of property, even of insurance, even of inheritance, even of taxing uh, churches and and free will clubs and societies and donations. Uh, to think that they are stealing from us through inflation, devaluing our currency, making our currency dross. Our history is being stolen. Our children are being indoctrinated and stolen. Our faith in our religion is being co-opted. Our health is being undermined. Our freedoms have been stolen. Freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of thought, freedom of movement, freedom of association. All these great freedoms are being stolen progressively by governments around the world, especially those governments who, who bow down to the World Economic Forum and the United Nations. And this also makes you understand why they targeted free countries like Rhodesia and South Africa and Southwest Africa, which were standing for freedom and opposing the new world order. They lied and slandered and bullied and character assassinated Rhodesia, South Africa and Southwest Africa, where I was brought up and undermined our freedoms until we were betrayed by our friends into the hands of our enemies. And now our countries no longer export food, no longer can feed ourselves. And the countries are being debased and on every level, not even electricity uh, is reliable, not even plumbing is reliable. There can be hours a day that there's no water in the taps and when there's no electricity available. That is normal life now in South Africa, which used to be uh, a first world economy leading the world in things like heart transplants and a whole lot of technology. So what we are seeing right now is governments are stealing. Governments are not just stealing through corruption. Governments are stealing through the taxation system, through the criminal justice system, through the failure to see that victims of crime get restitution from the criminals, uh, but rather forcing us to pay for the criminals being protected in, gov uh, in, in government institutions such as prisons. We are being stolen from on so many levels, but the worst is when they steal our children, steal our heritage, steal our faith and our freedoms, and steal our right to even defend ourselves. Ultimately, of course, the goal of these uh, institutions, if you look at the powers behind them, the powers that should not be, the Sabbatans, the Illuminati, uh, the Marxists, what we realize is the goal is not just to steal all of these things, our lives and our property and our children and our faith, but to steal our souls. 
In fact, I heard it put to me very well by somebody who was locked up in a communist concentration camp in Angola. He said that one of these Cubans, when they, the inmates just pleaded, and they said, why don't you just kill us and get over with? And this, this communist responded, oh, no, we don't want you to die and go to heaven with God. No, we want you to curse Christ and come to hell with us for all eternity. And that, Andrew, I think, is the ultimate theft. They're not only trying to steal our lives and property and our children, our history. They're trying to steal our souls. Back to you. Thank you so much, Peter. So interesting that you talked about taxation today, because this is my diary. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 31st of May. Check bank if you have received account summary, then find out interest received and do tax return. So that's actually what I'm going to be doing on the Tuesday because it finally <laughs> came in. I had it on, uh, I had a current account statement. It said, you know, you'll be getting the figure by the end of May. So whenever I've had a bit of time each day, I thought, oh, I'll go and check online, see if it's there. And I only checked at the weekend. And of course, today's the last day in May, so they just got it there in time. Um, and yeah, it's, it's what you talked about really rings true to me and I'm so pleased you brought up the biblical law if I was ever put in a position which I wouldn't want to be I'd hate to be in government but if I was going to be asked to be a president or a prime minister or what have you I would not want that title I would want to be an administrator because it would be my job to administrate the laws of the bible we don't need man to create a lot of new laws. We know the ones that we have are bad in so, on so many levels, and you, you reference many of them today. But the laws are in the Bible. It's not just the Ten Commandments. There are these other laws that Peter quoted. I believe it's something like 759 laws, statutes, ordinances, and the judgments for breaking those. I may be slightly off there, but there are a lot in there. And so God has given you the laws to live by, and we can see how man has made an absolute hash of laws in uh, the world today. And that's why we need to return to God's law and keep with God's law. So my society would be a theocracy, and the laws have already been written. What are your thoughts on that, Peter? That is just so true, Andrew. In fact, we've got in the Bible... Uh, for example, in Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11, why do people commit crimes so readily? Because crime is not punished quickly enough. So the Bible has straight answers to all these things. And in the Bible, we've got the principles, biblical principles of government. God set them up in Israel, 10 key principles of freedom, a written constitution covenant based upon the revealed word of God to clearly define and restrict the powers of government, to act as a chain to keep rulers from abusing power must be specific, clear, and permanent. The law of the Lord is perfect. Number two, separation of powers, functions into three branches of government, executive, judicial, legislative. And so you had the king, you had the legislature, separated into two houses, lower and upper, council and Sanhedrin, the judiciary, the elders or judges in each community, and the principles of an independent judiciary, the right to fair trial, national legislature, the lawmaking body, where you have representative judges, elected directly by the people, and a second house of hereditary elders from each of the tribes of Israel, including uh, the uh, spiritual leaders, the, the scribes and, and uh, the Levites as well. And then an executive officer, judge or king, elected with the guidance of God and the consent of the elders. And then a decentralized state with most responsibilities and powers resting on local government, uh, on 
on each of the tribes and on the families and individuals. And a citizen's army, a militia made up of trained citizens who have the right and duty to bear arms for the defense of home, family, community, and nation. And by the way, in the, in the Bible, the local militia units elected their own commanders. And in a free market economy based on private ownership property and individual free enterprise with no taxation of property, no taxation of inheritance, no taxation of institutions and individuals involved in full-time service of the Lord, they may not be taxed. No unequal system of of checks and taxes, not at all. And most important, in many ways, an education program independent of the state, controlled by the parents and aided by the church. You cannot trust any government with the molding of the minds of future voters. And it's one of the worst, most egregious thefts of all is when governments seek to steal our children by indoctrination. And right now, everything from critical race theory all the way through to LGBT gender confusion, this has got nothing to do with education. This has got everything to do with indoctrination. And so, yes, the only answers to all of these problems of how governments are stealing from us is to return to the biblical basis and the biblical limits of government, limited governments. And and on the planet, uh, probably Switzerland is the closest to the ideal, not that it's as good as it used to be, but still where things are decentralized, where people in the local communities have a real say over their future and where it's not some bureaucrat's many miles away, uh, unrelated and unresponsive to your, your concerns. So, yes, there are solutions. And uh, uh, just when it comes to crime, execution for capital crimes like murder, rape and kidnapping and restitution for property crimes, uh, there would be a lot less criminals if God's system of government was being implemented and uh, victims would be getting um, remunerated. So uh, plainly what's going on right now is not working. And I've got to come to the conclusion that I think our governments have become institutionally criminal enterprises run by criminal mafias, because what we've got right now is not what the Bible speaks of, of a deacon of God, of an agent of wrath to bring punishment on a wrongdoer, of one who is no terror to those who do good, but uh, to uh, but only does good uh, for the law-abiding and the God-fearing. What we've got right now so far from the Puritan ideal, so far from from our history of, of the, the dooms of King Alfred and Magna Carta. And uh, bear in mind, we're coming up to anniversary of Magna Carta being issued 15th of June. I think it, it would behoove all our people to look again at the biblical foundations of faith and freedom and demand that we get back to this because right now we're being stolen blind. And we're not just talking about economics here. Thank you, Andrew. Back to you. Thank you, Peter. And it's funny because I just looked, um, I typed tax into my pictures library to see if there's anything there. And I've only got one and I don't know how accurate it is. I don't know where I got it from. It just says South Africa, the only country in the world where 90% of the taxpayers did not vote for the ruling party. Let that sink in for a while take as long as you need i'm not sure how accurate that is i don't know where i got it it's dated 2015 it's, any comments it's on true. that no that, that is true so in south africa uh, income tax we have something ridiculous like less than two million people out of a population of 60 million less than two million people are actual um income tax payers and this is bizarre uh, so you've got and and those people virtually none of them vote for the anc criminal um cancer government, as we call it, uh, that's, that's uh, misruling us right now. So uh, isn't that bizarre? Instead of the taxpayers running the country, you've got a bunch of freeloaders, many of them illegal aliens, to use the American term, 
who weren't born in the country who've come in uh, to parasite off the system. So it's, um, I think America's got a bit of a problem on the southern border along that line too. If the taxpayers are not being represented by the government, you've got oppression. Isn't that what launched the American War of Independence? No taxation without representation. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And we're coming up to the end of the show. So before we go, can you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can support you? Thank you very much. My email is peter at frontline.org.za, peter at frontline.org.za, and our website is www.frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. We put out pre and praise updates. If you want to get on our mailing list, let us know. But on our website, you'll see uh, videos and uh, audios and PowerPoints and articles uh, from all around the world. We are working for Reformation Revival, calling people back to biblical principles in Africa and distributing over 100 tons of Bibles and books completely free every year around, around Africa. But as you can imagine, this economic climate, we are struggling. We need prayer. We need support. We need volunteers, too. So um, this is an important work. If you would like to be part of it in one way or the other, please contact me, mission uh, at frontline.org.za or peter at frontline.org.za. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter, and Peter's email address will be in the post for this show. So, folks, you have been listening to the real story of how our government steals from us. Excellent presentation by Peter, as always. I want to thank all of you for listening. Peter and I'll be back with you next week. I'll be back with you tomorrow. And until then, folks, have a wonderful day. And bye for now.